What's up, runners? On this week's episode of the Up and Running Podcast, we are finally finishing the discussion on training with your menstrual cycle. Gentlemen, do not turn away. Don't skip just yet. It's super important for you to know this information as well for all the ladies in your life and all the future ladies in your life. It is also having, uh, there's also some information in this podcast that's going to be relevant for you gentlemen, especially around relative energy deficiency in sport. But in this podcast, we are going to be recapping the four stages of the menstrual cycle, but we're specifically going to be diving into the final two stages of the menstrual cycle. And then we're going to be talking about how to track your menstrual cycle, why you should be tracking it, and things to look out for around your menstrual cycle when it comes to relative energy deficiency in sport and why this is a urogenic aid for females when it comes to performance. And then lastly, we're just gonna be recapping everything and giving you a lot of information on how to overall support yourself and utilize this information to help you perform better moving forward. So I hope you stay tuned and enjoy. What's up runners? This is the Personalized Running Doc. I'm a runner rehab specialist, running coach, and competitive distance runner. And throughout the early years of my running career, I was plagued with repetitive injuries and told by many a professional that it was my body's own fault, that my body wasn't built for running. So either I could quit or just live with the pain. I decided to choose option three, dive into the science behind running and training, which is what allowed me to return to running pain-free and continue chasing after my own PRs to this day. And now I'm gonna tell you all that I have learned along the way and how I coach my own athletes to do the same. This is the Up and Running Podcast. All right, runners, let's dive right into it and continue our discussion on training with your menstrual cycle. Now, again, guys, do not turn away. Do not turn this podcast off. Don't skip to the next podcast that is in your library. Stay tuned and stay with me here because it is super important for you to understand and know about the menstrual cycle and how females must be trained differently when it comes to endurance sports uh, because of the fact that we are on a 30-day cycle versus a 24-hour cycle like you guys go through. Um, So, To recap quickly, we have talked about menstruation, which is the first phase of the menstrual cycle, and we have talked about follicular phase, which is the second phase of the menstrual cycle. We've also talked a little bit about heavy menstrual bleeding. We've talked about um, iron deficiency and what to kind of look out for there, as well as what you need to do if you are suspecting that you are iron deficient. And also things to just keep in mind when it comes to training in these first two phases of your menstrual cycle. So typically during these phases, you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling pretty strong as long as we are managing symptoms in that first phase. uh, We are actually primed for high intensity efforts and work and we can really perform our best during these two phases of our menstrual cycles. This is when to actually kind of like program in some higher intensity workouts some races and really kind of test our fitness and see what we have the capacity to do. Uh, But this is also a period of time where we should be definitely proactive with what we're doing nutritionally to help support our body to mitigate some of those premenstrual symptoms that we are experiencing that kind of linger into our period as well as making sure that we're taking advantage of the fact that our body is primed for exercise adaptations and getting enough protein, getting enough carbohydrates and healthy fats to support our training. What we're going to go into now 
is phase three and phase four of the menstrual cycle. And phase three is the transition into from low hormone phase to high hormone phase of the menstrual cycle. And this is ovulation. So this is more important for athletes um, regardless of if you are trying to get pregnant right now. It's important to understand that ovulation is the indicator that you are shifting from low hormone to high hormone phase and this is where we need to just be mindful of our training and start to be proactive with our uh, habits outside of training so ovulation typically occurs between days 12 and 17 again this is based on normative data uh, where the average mental menstrual cycle is typically 28 days but a menstrual cycle can be anywhere between 24 to 36 days so understand that your days might be slightly different than this. Um, What is happening when we are ovulating? Well, there is a slight drop in estrogen before both estrogen and progesterone increase and start to further increase as we go into phase four. This drop in estrogen occurs right around ovulation. So around like 24 hours before ovulation, you see this drop in estrogen. And this is when an egg is released from your ovary. How do you know that this is happening? Well, your body temperature, because the other thing that drops when estrogen drops is your body temperature by a half to a full degree in um, your body temperature. So For example, I can utilize myself. My body temperature typically lies around 97.5 and typically around ovulation, my body temperature will drop to 96.9 or 96.5. This is, again, the best time to be proactive as your hormones are about to increase because they are going to impact everything. We've already discussed how they impact everything. They impact mood, energy levels, hunger signals, muscle breakdown. Um, We're going to go into more about how these increases of hormones actually impact you in terms of a performance um, output metric and so this is the time to be proactive so again making sure that you are being religious with your protein intake in your major meals and in your snacks major meals should have between 20 to 30 grams of protein snacks should have somewhere between 15 to 20 grams of protein um The bigger that you are, typically the more protein you're going to need. So males are going to be different than females. I know we're talking about females in this specific podcast, but in terms of protein intake, let's like understand that. And you really want to be prioritizing this specifically in that 30 to 45 minute window after you work out because your body needs that protein right then and there to help with recovery. It also needs carbohydrates to fully absorb that protein and utilize that protein to rebuild your muscles. Um, The other thing that females may want to consider doing at this point is also increasing the frequency of your fueling throughout the day. So you're going to be heading into the final stage of your menstrual cycle. This is typically when we start to experience symptoms of PMS, one of them being cravings, and that is because the increase in your hormones actually impacts your blood sugar. And so you see more kind of like fluctuations in that. And so increasing fueling and having a snack or a small meal every two to three hours is actually going to help kind of level out your blood sugar a little bit more and decrease your kind of need for cravings and and snacking and things like that. 
Now, as we're heading into the last phase of the menstrual cycle, we're talking about high hormone phase. I want you to understand that just because you are in this high hormone phase of your cycle does not mean that you can't hit your paces or get that new PR. You absolutely can. All it means is that your potential to do your best, you may have a little bit more to give when you're out of this phase of your menstrual cycle. So it doesn't still mean that you can't do your best. You actually just may have more in the tank. So you can absolutely hit that PR. And if you do during this period of time in your cycle, all you have to then know is like, oh, wow, if I'm doing this now, one, that means that you not only showed up in your training, but you showed up outside of your training and you got enough recovery and sleep, you managed your stress, you hydrated enough, you supplemented with electrolytes, and you fueled your body appropriately to kind of help this kind of hormonal storm that's occurring. So you did all of the things right. And then on top of that, you probably have a little more to give if you continue that pattern, if you continue to serve yourself in that capacity. I've had some amazing workouts. I actually just had one the other day because I'm in the final phase of my menstrual cycle. I'm like any day now getting my period and had a great workout, hit my paces like pretty like right on, spot on. Um, The only things that actually like impacted me wasn't like my fatigue or PMS. It was actually the fact that I started my run a little too late and it was getting dark and I ran on a road that was ripped up and the pavement was a little bit uh, uneven. And so I had to just be very careful of my footing because I couldn't see very well and the, the footing was uneven. So you can absolutely still do great things during this period of time of your cycle. You just have to be more mindful of getting more rest, getting more recovery, eating enough, and making sure that you are like doing the things that like I've been preaching (laughs) in all of the other podcasts uh, because your body is just a little bit more susceptible to stress during this period of time. Final phase of the menstrual cycle. This is the luteal phase. This is typically days 18 to 28. Again, days may vary depending upon what is your typical length of your menstrual cycle. And again, this is a high hormone phase. So during this time, your body is experiencing very high levels of estrogen and progesterone, and this creates a high level of inflammation, which results in systemic fatigue because high inflammation actually puts a lot of stress on our body and specifically on our nervous system. And so that creates a lot of systemic fatigue. This increases your levels of clumsiness. It decreases your coordination. It increases workout fatigue, so you go for that same easy route run around the block one day of the week, and then a couple weeks later, that same easy run around the block feels incredibly hard, and you feel so much more tired afterwards. The run didn't change, the pace didn't change, the elevation change didn't change. All that changed was the fact that you are now dealing with a lot more hormones in your system that are actually impeding your ability to work as efficiently. And the other thing that happens during this period of time is because of these high levels of hormones, it actually decreases your body's ability to rebuild muscle and increases your muscle breakdown from workouts. So it makes it a lot harder for females to kind of rebuild and maintain and build uh decrease the amount of like impact from a workout. 
which is one of the reasons that, again, exercise will feel harder during this period of time. Heading into the, as you're kind of moving into the late stages of the luteal phase, you'll see that your hormones slowly begin to drop towards the ends, the end of phase four. That slow drop, again, you're going to see it in your um, temperature change, um, which we'll talk about more in a minute, but that is also the indicator that you are getting your period. That temperature drop and drop of hormones is what essentially stimulates your body to initiate your period and then you switch back into and restart your menstrual cycle from phase one again with menstruation. Now going back to phase four and talking about nutritionally what we should be focusing on during this time. Again, with premenstrual symptoms that we are trying to manage, we may want to focus on increasing fiber intake around training windows. Uh, So we don't obviously want to be taking in a lot of fiber right before a workout, but we want to be increasing fiber because this is going to help with any constipation that you may experience or bloating. And again, these are normal symptoms that occur simply because of this increase in hormone production and inflammation in the body continue to prioritize protein if not more you may need to be focusing like so if you're normally getting on the lower ends of that protein intake that i mentioned so that you're maybe you're getting around 20 grams of protein instead of 30 you may be wanting to try to shift to get a little bit more protein into your diet because again your body is having a harder time rebuilding muscle and breaking and it's breaking down more muscle when you do work out That doesn't mean that eating protein is for nothing. It means that it's actually more important because if you're not giving your body enough of those building blocks, then those workouts are going to kind of go for naught and you're going to actually do more harm to yourself because you're not even allowing yourself the opportunity to build more muscle. So you really need those building blocks to build more muscle. Um, And you, again, want to be taking that in with a good amount of carbs as well because that's going to help rebuild your muscles, help rebuild your glycogen stores and doing that within that 35 to uh, 30 to 45 minute window post exercise is extremely important for female athletes. Um, This also helps to decrease cortisol production after a workout, which is normally elevated from working out. Cortisol is not a bad hormone, but again, if it stays elevated when we are already in, again, this hormonal storm, hormones are already high, inflammation is already high, systemic fatigue is already high, and then we maybe don't eat immediately after a workout and our cortisol stays elevated, that's just going to stress the body out more. And that's what we don't want because then everything performance-wise kind of decreases a bit further. Taking in healthy fats, so seeds, nuts, avocado, fish, fish oil, um, all of those are really important in supporting your hormones and making sure that hormonal function is like staying kind of well-oiled and well-fueled. And then we want to consider increasing our electrolyte intake, and this is especially around harder workouts, long runs, races and especially during hot and humid times so the summer times because this is going to uh the next bit of information that i discuss is going to really kind of highlight why performance can really be impacted when we are in this final phase of our menstrual cycle so without further ado talking about that essentially the last thing to really know what happens during this period of time of your menstrual cycle is this high hormone phase 
actually delays your body's ability to sweat when you do start working out. So normally you start working out, you start going for a run, you start lifting, and within five minutes maybe you're starting to sweat. Well, during this high hormone phase of your menstrual cycle, you don't start sweating until maybe eight, nine, or ten minutes. And that doesn't sound like a long period of time, but essentially what continues to happen in that five-minute window that's now been extended, now from five minutes to ten minutes, is your core body temperature continues to rise. And you're essentially like, overheating from the inside so hot feels hotter just as baseline because of the fact that you have this increase of hormone production your body is inflamed your body is systemically fatigued so your body temperature is naturally hotter during this period of time and then you go and work out and then you can't release any of that heat that's already then starting to build from there from exercising and this is what actually puts a lot of females at risk for heat stroke during this period of time and overheating as well as hyponatremia. So hyponatremia is excessive salt loss because the other factor to consider is that when you do start sweating, you actually start to sweat saltier. So you actually aren't losing as much water when you sweat, you're actually losing more sodium. And again, increased sodium loss impairs heat regulation, it impairs muscle and nerve firing, um, and it's, it's ultimately just going to hit you harder in terms of like, you're just, again, hitting that wall. This is what that kind of feels like for a lot of females, uh, when they are experiencing this impact from their menstrual cycle. And most females, because we haven't been educated well enough on this, won't understand why the week before they were feeling great and they were so excited for their race or their workout and they were like, oh, I'm going to do great. Like, this is going to like go perfectly. And then all of a sudden they get into the workout, they get into the race and like the wheels are just coming off and they don't understand because they're doing everything that they had been doing and nothing's changed except for the fact that something's changed underneath the surface and they are dealing with a completely different hormonal kind of level that is impacting the fact that they probably needed to increase probably fueling, they probably needed to increase water intake and um, electrolyte intake, specifically sodium, around this time to help their body regulate their body temperature more and help with the muscle and nerve firing and decrease some of that fatigue that they're also experiencing because of the levels of hormones in their body. So something to note during this period of time in a female's menstrual cycle this is in theory because of the fact that your body is under so much more stress at baseline high inflammation high fatigue you're more likely to notice aches and pains or injuries or illnesses crop up during this cycle of your your menstrual cycle um, or this phase of your menstrual cycle I should say so that's what also makes it so much more important to really be prioritizing those other facets of your training. So not just the physical training. The physical training kind of takes more of a backseat, kind of like in taper for a race. And we're focusing more on prioritizing the hydration, electrolyte intake, nutrition, and protein intake, carbohydrate intake. We're focusing on recovery, sleep, and mindset as well as stress management during this time because those things are going to kind of pay back in in dividends in comparison to just kind of like 
muscling through a training regimen at this period of time. The other thing to know is, again, because of the fact that we have impaired heat regulation, we have high levels of inflammation, high hormones, um, your body temperature is higher at rest. Overall, again, performance metrics are going to slightly be off. And so testing your VO2 max during this period of time is probably not the best. Um, You're probably not going to get the most accurate results from testing during this kind of like sector of your period now that again doesn't mean that you can't perform well doesn't mean that you can't perform and do the thing that you were kind of like setting out to do in a vo2 max workout just means that you probably again have a greater capacity than is actually being recognized in that workout in that moment so it's not don't do it it's just recognize that like even if you do it you may still have more to give And if anything, that should give you confidence in yourself. Uh, But if the wheels do come off, then that's an indicator that, okay, we were not paying close enough attention to those other facets that really were going to support you during those periods of time. So talking about some important like common premenstrual symptoms, again, guys, if you're listening to this, you need to know that these are things that we experience every single month. Um, Bloating. Uh, we see a reduction in blood volume and we actually are retaining more water. Um, And it just kind of makes you really uncomfortable all the time. Hot feels hotter because we are having to um, regulate our body temperature without having the ability to sweat as easily. And when we do sweat, we're losing more sodium. Uh, and our because of this high hormone, we are seeing our temperature naturally climb um, and stay higher at baseline. So working on hydration, working on sodium intake is super important. Migraines. Again, this is probably also relevant to the fact that we are bloating, blood volume is lower, we are not having, um, we are not as efficient with our fluids and sodium intake. So we're going to get migraines or headaches during this period of time. Mood swings, our hormones are literally raging inside of us and we are uncomfortable at baseline. And so it creates mood swings. Uh, exercise can help with that, but then when exercise feels like it's fighting against us, it can, it can be a real battle and it can be um, a real pain in the butt uh, because we the one thing that we're hoping will help us is the one thing that maybe like we're seeing some resistance against. Um, and again, that resistance is essentially just something that we should use as a educational point that, hey, we need to be focusing less on the physical side of training and more on the other facets of our training. I already talked about this salty sweats. So you're going to be sweating saltier. You may even see like some of like the white crusty salt rims um, on your face when you are working out. And very common again, you're hungrier and you have more cravings. Uh, Fun fact, females in the last stage of their menstrual cycle in this luteal phase heading into their uh, menstruation phase, are burning up to 200 calories more per day. Doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be eating 200 calories more per day, but we are burning 200 calories more per day. And do you know what conveniently equals 200 calories? A chocolate bar. A chocolate bar equals about 200 calories. So there's a reason why we are kind of like going for that. The other thing that chocolate has, healthy fats. Healthy fats that support our hormones. So there, and and sugar, 
it also has sugar, carbohydrates. So it's all the things that our body is kind of like wanting and craving to help support our hormones during this like crazy time. So why should females track their menstrual cycle? Simply to know where you are because you need to know that shift from low hormone to high hormone phase and vice versa. It's very important because you're going to then notice more often how you're feeling and what training is going to benefit you most and how to kind of modify training for yourself or how to open up a discussion with your coach to adjust training and have that conversation. Uh, Because again, you're going to be more fatigued, clumsy, and you're going to notice some decreased coordination uh, when you are in that final stage of your menstrual cycle. And it's not an excuse not to train, but it helps to know to provide data on how we can be proactive with your training and other facets to support you during this time. Uh, And it also ensures that you're not at risk for red S, which is relative energy deficiency in sport, because the first sign of red S is amenorrhea. So how do you track your menstrual cycle? Super simple. Don't rely on an app. Uh, This is for people that are not on hormonal birth control. I'm sorry, those of you that are on hormonal birth control, you can't really track your menstrual cycle because of the fact that the hormones are altering your hormonal kind of like fluctuations. Uh, You are not having the same hormonal fluctuations as somebody that is off hormonal birth control. Um, But if you are looking to track your cycle naturally, don't rely on an app. Apps are based on the algorithm and normative data and you are not normative data. You are an individual and some cycles, as we have talked about, can last between 24 to 36 days. The average is 28, but that's not every individual's experience. And oftentimes there's fluctuations based upon travel, based upon stress, based upon alcohol intake, um, and training demands. All of those things will also impact your cycle length and duration. So what's the most accurate method for tracking your menstrual cycle? The most accurate method is a combination of two things, basal body temperature and discharge observation. So basal body temperature is essentially your body temperature at rest. This is right when you wake up in the morning. So as soon as you wake up in the morning, you should take your temperature with a basal body temperature thermometer. It essentially has um, a tenth to the degree and so it's a little bit more accurate and so you can see more changes in your body temperature when you take it in the morning. And what you will notice is that through, say we start from the beginning of a menstrual cycle, that makes sense as a place to start. The first phase of your menstrual cycle, you should see your body temperature stay relatively like consistent. Again, as long as we're not dealing with a lot of stress, we're not like excessively drinking alcohol the night before and we're getting enough sleep, your body temperature will probably kind of stay within a normal range. Again, I can use my data points as an example. My body temperature typically stays somewhere between 97.2 and 97.5 during the first 14 to 16 days of my cycle. What then happens when I ovulate is, again, we talked about your body temperature drops. So estrogen drops and your body temperature drops by a half to a full degree. So my body temperature will drop to 96.9 or 96.5. 
And that is my indicator that I'm about to ovulate and I am also about to shift into the high hormone phase of the menstrual cycle. Now, what I will consistently see happen after that is my body temperature will begin to rise. So it'll go back up to that 97.5 and then it'll go up to 97.7 and then it'll go up to 97.9 and then it'll go to 98.0 and then it could go even as high as 98.3. Essentially 98.3, I feel like I am boiling. I'm just so hot at baseline, like I could sit in a warm-ish room like a 70 degree room and just start sweating within like 10 minutes of sitting in that room just because I'm so uncomfortably warm Uh, and so what then occurs again as we shift from luteal phase to menstruation is my body temperature will drop so the morning that I am going to get my period, I will take my temperature and I will see that my body temperature has now dropped from that 98 point whatever to back to like 97.5 or 97.2. And that will indicate to me like, oh, today's the day. Aunt Flo has arrived and I'm getting my period and I'm switching back into low hormone phase. Again, these switches from low hormone to high hormone and high hormone to low hormone are not instantaneous you have to give your body a couple of days to adapt to these shifts because these shifts are dynamic and kind of ever flowing. The other measurement that you can use is discharge observations. So discharge changes for a female throughout their cycle and discharge production also changes throughout their cycle. When you are menstruating, you're not, you do not have any discharge because you are bleeding. When you come out of menstruation, you're heading into the follicular phase, phase two, you will notice that your discharge will start to become more liquidy and watery. It's more clear and consistent. Uh, And you're starting to kind of like then notice the ramp up of production of discharge during that period of time. Heading towards closer towards ovulation phase, you'll notice that that uh, consistency of your discharge changes from kind of watery to sticky and you'll also notice that it changes from clear to more of like an egg white color or consistency so and the production increases there is a purpose to that that is supposed to help with essentially having a baby and then as you leave ovulation and head into the luteal phase the later and later that you get into that phase you'll start to notice that your discharge disappears and you don't have any more discharge right before you have your period now you have to track this for three to four months consistency consistently before you see a pattern you can't just track it for one month and be like oh i know exactly when i'm going to ovulate and know when I'm going to shift into here and this and that and just use those like blanket dates. Nope, you need to do it consistently for three to four months to really understand the pattern that your body falls into. This is not only for essentially a athletic standpoint, but also again for maybe uh, pregnancy prevention or trying to get pregnant. This is the way to go. Um, There are apps out there that now help with this Um, there is like an armband that takes your temperature overnight and um, inputs the data into the app and it's called temp drop there's also natural cycles uh, which also uses basal body temperature so if you're not somebody that is as old school as me that takes their temperature with a thermometer in the morning and then writes it down on a uh, calendar um, then you can utilize these apps if you would like now 
coming back to why this is important, it's important so from a performance metric to know if we are at risk for relative energy deficiency in sport, red S. Because the first sign of red S is missing a menstrual cycle. And the underlying cause of this is low energy availability, essentially meaning that you're not eating enough food. Uh, And if a person has insufficient energy intake relative to the amount of movement that they're like performing, um, it's essentially a sign that they are overtraining or underfueling and under-recovering. The red S um, descriptor is essentially a kind of expansion from the female triad syndrome. So female triad syndrome was originally just thought to be relative energy deficiency or low energy availability, uh, bone uh, injuries, and bone health issues, and the loss of a menstrual cycle. Well, science eventually caught up and realized, oh, this doesn't just happen in females, this also happens for males. So it's, again, if any males are listening to this, I'm about to give you some information that's super important uh, because they realized that the female triad is, again, one, there's more systems just involved than what I just mentioned, but they're also not this, this low energy availability, relative energy deficiency actually does also impact men. Men are not kind of immune to this, especially in the endurance athlete field. And the sign for men to know if your hormonal reserves and hormone fluctuations are uh, not kind of performing at their peak metrics uh, is actually uh, a lack of a um, boner, (laughs) for lack of a better term. So not having a boner is essentially an indicator having issues with um, that (laughs) is uh, a sign or an indicator for males that their testosterone levels are uh, low and they'll specifically notice that in the morning. So if you're not getting morning wood, fellas, there's an indication there that your relative energy deficiency is probably kind of like rearing up and you need to be working on some fueling and um, recovery tactics to help balance out how much energy you are outputting in your training. Females, your indicator is lack of a menstrual cycle. And that's obviously much more severe if we're getting to that point. Because the impacts of amenorrhea, uh, female athletes that don't get their period are two to four more times likely to develop a bone stress reaction or stress fracture. Um, And even if you have your period, you still may have low energy availability. um, And that can hurt bone health. The other impact of low energy availability is essentially meaning that you're not eating enough or eating as frequently as you should and that actually impacts your GI system. So gastric emptying actually slows down when you have too few of calories um, or you're having too high of a fiber diet and that can lead to constipation, GI discomfort. It can also lead to bacteria buildup and bloating Uh, and so eating enough actually helps your gastric motility and helps your body like your, your gut muscles, essentially, um, because that's what your GI system is made up of. It's made up of smooth muscle that contracts involuntary, and involuntarily. Um, eating enough helps those things move along and helps strengthen those muscles. 
without eating enough, you're going to have issues with micronutrient deficiencies such as iron and vitamin D. Um, Athletic performance is obviously going to be limited because your glycogen reserves are going to be low. Your blood sugar is going to be low. You're probably going to be dehydrated because you can't store any water because your muscles don't have enough glycogen to help you store water and your muscles aren't big enough because you're probably not eating enough protein to kind of, again, store that water, store that glycogen. Um, And a big misconception is that this only impacts skinny or underweight individuals, and that's a lie. Uh, Those that are um, at a quote-unquote normal body weight for their size or are larger can also experience low energy availability in sport. Um, And hormonal birth control can actually impact you further because, again, you don't know whether this is happening or not. You have no idea if you're experiencing low energy availability because you're not going to get the first sign that this is occurring uh, because the hormonal birth control is masking essentially one of the symptoms and it's essentially not giving you all of the information. So a lot of individuals that are on hormonal birth control won't know until they end up with an injury. And unfortunately, one of those injuries is uh, bone injuries in terms of stress reaction and stress fractures. We're going to take a quick segue again and we're going to talk about females and strength training because a common fear that I will say is reported from females is that they are scared to get bulky and I want to like kind of smash this myth or fear or idea uh, completely because it's impossible. Um, It's really impossible unless you are taking something unnatural and bulkiness doesn't happen overnight. Just like being able to qualify for Boston doesn't happen overnight for most individuals, bulkiness doesn't happen overnight for 99.999% of the individuals. Those that are out there that do have like a relatively lean figure or are able to put on massive amounts of muscles uh, either are genetically disposed to do so Or they are not, if they are putting on massive amounts of muscle as a female, they are most likely taking um, a lot of supplementation and are are kind of tipping the scales in their advantage. Uh, That also being said, those individuals are usually also training differently than endurance athletes. So you're not training like a power lifter or an Olympic weightlifter. You are training as a runner. And as a runner, you are not lifting as frequently as those individuals, you're not lifting as heavy as those individuals, and you're not doing the same movements as those individuals. So that is going to change how you build muscle. The other thing that is impactful in this is because when we train aerobically for an extended period of time, multiple days of the week, and we only strength train for maybe a couple of days of the week, there's essentially cross-signaling of what the receptors are receiving in our muscles and it limits how much muscle growth we can have. Now that doesn't mean that strength training is kind of futile. Again, it's just as important if not more important because it's harder for us to build muscle for that reason. And then you add into the fact that in the last stage of your menstrual cycle, you're seeing an increase in muscle breakdown and you're seeing a decrease in muscle rebuild that strength training becomes even more important during that period of time uh, to support your body and make sure your muscles are staying strong. So ladies, eat your protein, eat your carbs, and lift heavy weights. Um, 
and keep on running and you'll probably stay healthy. Kind of recapping all of this because we've talked a lot or I've talked a lot uh, in this podcast and over these two podcasts regarding the menstrual cycle. Fueling for performance. Females are more sensitive to low energy availability and low carb intake. So like I just said, eat your carbs, eat your protein, um, take in enough energy and don't be afraid to eat for the amount of activity that you're doing. High intensity and long duration exercise suppresses our hunger cues as individuals, just as human beings. But again, females are typically more susceptible to these things, uh, especially with society kind of pressures on us. And so make sure to eat, especially in the morning times at breakfast. This is really important that you do not train fasted because this helps to start your metabolism. This helps to decrease cortisol production and helps your body kind of like regulate throughout the day. Uh, it Then you especially want to be making sure that you're eating enough protein and carbohydrates post-activity to help your body rebuild muscle and rebuild any glycogen stores that you may have utilized during this time. Cyclical considerations, high hormone phase, focus on anti-inflammatory foods, uh, focus on high fiber, focus on um, protein, fats, and healthy fats, and low hormone phase, again, protein and carbs, making sure that you're prioritizing that uh, for breakfast and for after your runs to make sure that you're helping yourself in recovery. Hydration, one, drink half your body weight in ounces of water per day and then maybe tack on another 20 to 30 ounces if you are actively training for a long endurance race uh, and if you're training in hot and humid conditions. Uh, especially do that around your high hormone phase. So phase three and four, you want to be increasing your water intake and you also want to be increasing your electrolyte intake. The average daily recommendation for sodium intake is 2300 milligrams and that is for an average adult like sedentary American. Uh, if you do not have any pre-existing conditions, it is safe for you to increase your sodium intake above that. I can use myself as an example, and this is not going to say that this is a rule for everybody, but to utilize myself as an example, I'm a very heavy sweater, and I take in on average around 3,000 milligrams of sodium on a daily basis, up to 3,500 milligrams of sodium on a daily basis. On a long run day, I'm probably hitting closer towards 4,000 milligrams of sodium. That is cumulative of what I eat in my diet as well as what I supplement. Again, this is my information, not yours, but just as kind of like an understanding, you can go higher than that 2300 milligrams if you do not have any pre-existing conditions that would prevent you from kind of increasing that sodium intake. This is going to help combat neuromuscular fatigue and that impaired heat regulation in those later stages of your menstrual cycle. Sleep and recovery my favorite things. Um, hum uh, women, humans, I was just about to say humans, but human women <laughs> uh, need eight to 10 hours of sleep to replenish hormonal reserves per night. So guys, you have testicles and these testicles are constantly increasing your adrenal hormone reserves um, and you don't have to rely just on your adrenal glands. Females, we do not have that. We only have our adrenal glands and our adrenal glands only 
replenish themselves when we are sleeping. And so it is super important that we get to bed at a reasonable bedtime and replenish our adrenal glands. If we are not sleeping enough, if we are not sleeping enough uh, into the like earlier hours of the evening, so like think like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., um, if we're staying up later into those hours, we are essentially depriving ourselves from fully kind of replenishing those adrenal glands. During the high hormone phase, sleep also is a bigger priority to combat that neuromuscular fatigue, inflammation, and to help replenish your reserves even more to help kind of just combat the overall high hormone phase of of your sex hormones during this period of time. Stress management, uh, we are more susceptible to stress as females. This whole kind of discussion is just kind of showing that there is a cyclical period of time in our monthly cycles where we are just more susceptible to stress and we have to be more mindful about we are do- what we are doing. So treat yourself to something nice, like go get your nails done, go get your hair done, go get a massage, a blowout, go out for drinks with your friends, go for a walk, uh, take an extra nap, read a book, watch a movie, whatever is going to help you kind of replenish and recharge value that and do that especially during that high hormone phase of your menstrual cycle and lastly training again training is important but it's only as important as your ability to recover and again master these other sides of your training and the the physical side of your training is only one piece the other pieces are just as important So during the first phases of your menstrual cycle, you can probably get away with like training a little bit harder and putting those races into your uh, calendar during that period of time. But once you switch into the phase three and phase four in that high hormone phase, that might be the time where you're specifically with endurance activities pulling back on intensity because that neuromuscular fatigue is going to be really high. And that might be the period of time where, yeah, you can still go out for a longish run and have like the volume. The volume's not necessarily as much of an issue as the intensity, but maybe you're also prioritizing more cross-training. So maybe you're biking more, swimming more, where we're not going to get as much of that bouncing that is going to cause even more neuromuscular fatigue. And maybe you're lifting a bit more. Lifting is going to feel really nice on your body during this period of time because of the fact that it's kind of loading you and it's almost like a weighted blanket and it's helping you feel grounded. Um, You may have to modify, again, weights depending upon how much fatigue you're experiencing and how many sets and reps that you can do. But strength training can usually feel really supportive during this period of time in your menstrual cycle. That was all that I had to say about that. (laughs) which was a lot. Uh, So if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have comments, uh, please reach out to me on Instagram at the personalized running doc and DM me there. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoyed these episodes, share it with somebody that you think needs to hear this information. Get this out there. And my last little ask from you guys is if you are enjoying this podcast, if you are feeling like it is bringing value and knowledge into your running journey, leave a review. Put some stars down there and leave a review of what you've got out of this podcast because it's going to help it promote to other individuals that may need this information. But as always, guys, 
I hope you learned something. I hope you took a few golden nuggets out of these podcasts specifically around training with your menstrual cycle. Gentlemen, if you stuck around, I appreciate you for taking a moment to learn a little bit more about the females in your life and helping to support them because they need that. And keep on running. Keep on running.